0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 1. Second Chronicles chapter 1. I want to talk about a guy. He's not just any ordinary guy. His name is Solomon. And Solomon was uh, a great king, a very wealthy king, very knowledgeable king. Three books of the Bible that he was significant as the one who was writing and was inspired to write them. The first book is the Song of Songs, or some say the Song of Solomon. And he wrote that when he was a young man. He wrote that just as he began to take over the throne. The second book was the book of Proverbs, and these are called the books of wisdom, and Proverbs has a lot of wisdom. Song of Songs has tremendous wisdom. And then the third book he wrote at the end of his life, it's called Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a book that has wisdom, but the wisdom is not so much in the words he wrote, it's in the lesson you learn from this man's life. And so he read three books that depict his life, and so uh, this is something that we can uh, Learn from. I uh, just want to welcome back with us EC and Wisdom. David, is Cheryl with you today? Cheryl, there she is. Good to see you guys. Hey guys, bless back to your family again. They are, yeah, they are part of uh, my old church family back in Allison Pentecostal Church. So uh, great family back there. We, um, let's read from this text 2 Chronicles 1, chapter 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Let's go down to verse 7. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Here's, the, here's his request, verse 10. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth and possessions and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you Will have. What I want to entitle my message this morning, and I'll explain it in a moment, is the Solomon Church. So, Father, open our hearts to understand the significance as we look at this story, and I think how this story does relate to us today. In your precious name, Amen. There's a message that I use, I have spoken for a number of years didn't originate with me. I heard it out of Promise Keepers one time. And it's the message I entitled The Three Chairs. The three chairs of the three generations. On my left, your right, it's the, it's the first generation. It's those who come to Christ who parents were not followers of Christ, who had grown up maybe just living in the pits of sin. But coming at some point in their life to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. These are the people who are the first generation followers of Jesus, the first chair. Some of you here are first chair followers of Jesus. You did not grow up in a Christian family, you don't have parents who follow Christ. You're a first generation follower of Christ. Their children, their children are born into this. Their children are born into a home similar to what we were talking in the dedication earlier where your home, your teaching, your devotions, your example is an example of Christ. And so you grow up in a home that Jesus is Lord and and they try to live out their faith and you grow up in that home. And so it's very natural for you to take on the practices and faith of your parents even though your parents can't be your faith, you just naturally follow through. You often are are a better looking Christian than your parents. You, you, You know the Bible better than they do. You tend not to have as many vices in your life that they had because they were saved out of sin, but you didn't have all that junk, not like them. And so you grow up in that environment. But the challenge of this middle chair is to make Christ your all in all with the same sacrifice that your parents did. Because the tendency is to simply follow a path already laid for you, but not making him Lord of all. It's convenient to serve Christ. It's easy to come to church because your parents went to church. It's easy to have the lingo because your parents developed that lingo. But Christ is not everything. There's a tendency here, if you don't make Christ everything, there's a tendency that you will be hypocritical. You will say one thing, look one thing, but in your life, secretly, you live your heart somewhere else. Their children, the third chair, will look upon mom and dad, and they see the hypocrisy. They see a double standard taking place. Because you haven't got into the first chair, you are living on the blessings of a parent who serves Christ. And in the third generation, frequently, they will... Not embrace the faith of their parent because they see a discrepancy. And by the fourth generation, they want nothing to do with what the first generation had laid their life down for. We often see this. This is not always, but the key is is the second generation. The key is is this middle one right here. You got to get into that first chair. Christ has got to become all in all. I grew up, I'm third generation, follower of Jesus. Not not on the entrails of the parents before me, but I came to a place when I was 17 years old. Was I simply going to follow the easy path or was Christ going to be everything to me? And between the ages of 17 and 19, a lot of major decisions were made in my life that he became first chair, everything, count at the cost. This is the story of David, Solomon's dad, who committed everything and had to fight giants in his life. His son had it much easier. He grew up in the kingdom. He grew up in the blessings of his dad, in the shadow of the blessings of his dad. And so when this moment came for Solomon, a great moment when the throne was passed down to Solomon, a moment before him and God was that conversation we just read earlier. And I want to equate this to the church today 3,000 years later. I want to equate this, that there's a Davidic church and there's a Solomon church. There's a church after the heart of David and there's a church after the heart of Solomon. And they are not the same. The church of Christ today, I believe, in many ways here in Canada, has been living on the remnants of a previous generation. They've been living off a blessing of a previous generation who counted the cost, who fought through persecution, who were ostracized, and then we, there's kind of a, just a slipping in. Not that we simply adopted their faith, and their faith is our faith, but it's been easier. It's easier to go to church. You don't have to face the same criticism, perhaps, as that first generation who paid a dear cost to follow Christ. The church is often living on the remnants of that. How do we know that? Because the church is in decline here in Canada. So that's evidence that we're living on a blessing that was poured out there and it has not been poured out here. The blessing was previous. In many ways, there's a similarity of the church today. I'm going to call it again the Solomon Church I mean, think about. It. Solomon was well organized. Solomon was I mean, he was better organized than his dad. Solomon was better educated than his dad. He knew more. Solomon, generally speaking, had everything, did everything, was everything, bigger and better than his dad. Bigger and better than his dad. We've had blessings. We've had blessings, and we live on the blessings today. I never went through the Great Depression. My mom did. I never went through the things that were experienced by parent, and my grandparents. There was a lot of just passed down blessing. So in many ways, like a Solomon, bigger and better than before. The driving force behind Solomon was wisdom and knowledge. Did you notice this, the text? This was the heart cry of Solomon. Let me read it again, 2 Chronicles 1.10, that one verse. Solomon, here's, here's the cry. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Not a bad request. But I came in with awareness years ago when I studied his dad, something was missing. This is a good prayer. He asked for godly wisdom. He asked for godly knowledge. It was a good prayer. It sounds good. And indeed, God was pleased that Solomon never asked for riches and wealth. He didn't ask just for selfish gain, and God was pleased with him. Yet, I want to present here this morning a proposal that there is a subtle problem with what happened here. Solomon's request is totally man centered. Man-centered. This very talented king was saying, God, give me the tools and I'll get the job done. Give me the strategy. Give me the resources. Give me what it takes so I can do my job better. Now, that's in and of itself not all bad. There's a lot of good to it. I want the tools. But was that the best prayer? Solomon's prayer was not the same as his father's prayer. When I studied his dad, I began to recognize something. The Apostle Paul brings it out in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. The Apostle Paul speaks of David. He said, after David was made king, he says in verse 22, God testified concerning David. Hear what God said. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. See what God had to say about David? He's a man after my heart. David went after my heart. He didn't ask what I could do for him. He wanted to know me intimately. He was a man after my heart. David was a man after God's own heart. We never read that of Solomon. You can read through all his books. You never read Solomon going after the heart of his heavenly father. Solomon's prayer was perhaps the prayer of that second generation, the the second chair generation, the generation of educated, the generation of new ideas, the generation of more skills. And his cry was, I need wisdom. I need knowledge to get it done. A couple of weeks ago, here at Cornerstone, I commemorated kind of my spiritual father, Jack Hayford, as he went to be with his Lord. I remember Jack when we were in class one day, and Jack was talking just as he would. He just off the cuff began to talk about some experiences, and there was a pastor, a very renowned pastor. If I said his name, most of you would know it. Very renowned pastor of a very large church, 18,000 people, and very large church, and he's a He's an evangelical pastor, a pastor who is known to develop great leaders. He himself was a leader. His dad was a professional man. He was a professional man before he became a pastor. And in his church, he develops leaders. He goes through leadership strategy, leadership conferences. He develops leaders all over the world. It continues to this day, this development. And he has been a blessing to me because I've learned a lot of leadership skills from him. It's been pretty good. But what Jack was saying that day in class was this, and and they tend not to be in the same stream because Jack was really Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, the spirit-filled movement. And then this guy was more in the the fundamental, evangelical, uh, more conservative movement. And the movements, they both loved Jesus, but the movements were very different. His was more of strategy and developing and plans for your church. Where Jack's was more, let the spirit move. Let God touch your heart, believing in healing and the miraculous. And anyway, this pastor, this pastor of this 18,000 member church, initiated a friendship with Jack. And they began to grow in friendship. And Jack was kind of surprised by it. Why are you initiating this friendship? And this pastor said, he said, because I've been missing something all along. And it's about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to introduce me to him in that way. And their relationship developed. He says, why is it? He says, "This this is the thing that surprises me, this pastor. He says, why is it the charismatic and Pentecostals who believe in the fullness of his spirit, the empowerment of his spirit, why are they coming to my seminars by the tens of thousands? He says, You already have what you need. You have the fullness of his spirit to do abundantly and beyond those things. And yet you are now looking for tools and devices and skills and strategies. He says, I think you've got it backwards. He says, I'm coming to you because there's a hole in my heart that I know I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I need you. I remember Jack sharing that in class that day. Never forgot it. That there's something there when the fullness and the power of His Holy Spirit only He can do when we seek His heart and not simply His skills. Learning more, learning more, learning more. Very interesting. Solomon's request was for wisdom, knowledge, and skills for his generation. And this can easily become the church today in 2023, be driven for more wisdom be driven for more skills, be driven for more things that we can do. If I can just learn how to do it better, if I can just have another course, another teach me some, some plans, how do you put that in place? How were you successful? And I want to propose to you, we need to get back to the heart of David, and the heart of David was that he sought the heart of his father. Oh, God, that I would know your heart. And that is not simply through more education. That is okay, but it can't be the drive. The drive becomes, Lord, I must know you. I seek your face, O God, of Jacob. Lord, I sit in your presence, and I'm undone until I hear from you. Lord, I long to know you. I long to know your heart. I long for the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. Oh, Holy Spirit, consume me with your fire. Baptize me in your spirit. And that becomes the drive of your heart versus maybe I can take some courses. Maybe I can learn more. Maybe there's some strategies we can play. If we do like them, we'll become like them. If we do like them, we'll have big numbers like them. Solomon's church. Hmm. Just look around and you can observe an insatiable thirst today for information. The computer computer revolution has sought to satisfy this insatiable thirst for the more. Never has there been so much information. The information highway is wide and long. And we seek more information, more information Never has there been so many seminars. Never has there been so many teachings. Never has there been so many conventions. People who are watching online, there's a hundred other places you could go and be fed. There is so much information, interactive information, online education, tools, more tools, more tools. And then we will reach the lost for Jesus. Then we will make a difference in our world. But beloved, beloved, we will never accomplish anything for God by wisdom and knowledge alone, no matter how important, no matter how necessary it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read this. 1 Corinthians 1:21 it says, "For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him." The world and its wisdom can't know him. God was pleased Through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He took the foolish things. I remember my mom talking in the early days of when the Spirit began to be poured out across this nation. How the churches were poor. The churches didn't have much. They were poor people. I mean literally poor people who were seeking the Lord. They didn't have things. They didn't have means. There was one thing they desired and one thing only. Oh, God, I need you. And their hearts became broken before their God. They didn't have nice suits. They didn't have nice cars. They didn't have nice bank account. They didn't have that. So their hearts were open for God. All these true treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. Colossians, Paul would say in chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where? Christ. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, Solomon's gospel is different. It was said of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. It's This is Solomon. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs... And his songs numbered a thousand and five. Solomon described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. Solomon also taught about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. He was brilliant. This was Solomon's gospel. His gospel, 3,000 short sermonettes of practical knowledge and wisdom. That was his gospel. That was the good news. 3,000 short sermonettes of practical knowledge and wisdom. Solomon created new songs. He wrote hymn books, wonderful stories, incredible applications of truth on human nature, human behavior. You can read of it in the book of Proverbs. They're good. They're really good. But beloved, unless the Spirit of God anoints the preaching, Unless the Spirit of God anoints the teaching, it remains dead. It remains dead. And there's a lot of activity, a lot of machinery going on, but no results for eternal kingdom of God. Unless His Spirit quickens it with an anointing, it remains a Solomon church. And in the end, Solomon delivered an absolutely powerless message. Because he had no power to practice what he preached. Solomon was a fake. Solomon was a hypocrite. He gave himself to strange women, the Bible says. He raised wicked children. Indeed, Solomon ended up an idolater, living out his last days in sensuous cesspool of immorality. That's his legacy. That's this Solomon's legacy. This all in spite of wisdom. Teaching and 3,000 Proverbs. See, that doesn't do it. The tools don't make it happen. The skills were the wrong skills. Would the modern-day sinner-friendly church not have good, insightful, thoughtful preaching, be homiletically correct, centered on how to cope with life's problems, 15- to 20-minute messages illustrated with clear points, packed, filled with illustrative truths? But here's the question. God, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of righteousness? Remember, knowledge in itself is unable to save a life or to change a people. Can't do it. More knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge will not bring a changed people. Everything Solomon did ended up in Ecclesiastes. Depressing book. And then in that phrase, over and over, he would say, All is vanity. All is despair. All is vanity. All is despair. I want you to compare this Solomon Church now with the Church of David, his dad. The driving force behind David's church, and when I say David's church, I'm not ref- you know what I'm saying. I'm saying people who would follow after the heart of David, who followed after the heart of God. Those that were of the David's church. The driving force here was total dependence on the Holy Spirit. It is what distinguished David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read David, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of David's brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And then later, much later, when David was on his deathbed, David would grab a hold of his son Solomon, who was taking over the throne. And in so many words, listen to what David said. Solomon, I want to tell you why God has blessed me. I want you to know the secret of my ministry, why the kingdom is at peace and why God has been with me everywhere I've gone. Listen to David's last words. Here is his last words. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. David's last words. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Solomon's last words, vanity, vanity, all is despair. David's last words. Listen, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. And his word was on my tongue. David was saying, I didn't trust in knowledge. I didn't trust in wisdom. I didn't trust in the man's techniques. I was a weak man. I depended only on the Holy Spirit. Many of us here this morning are followers of Christ. Not because of persuasive words. Are you followers today? Not because of methodologies or how to cope with your problems. Many of us here today, you're followers of Jesus because the Spirit of God changed you. That's why you're here. That's what brought you to this moment because God transformed your life. Solomon spoke of trees. He spoke of plants. He spoke of beasts, of creeping things. He spoke of fish. But David spoke of intimacy with the Lord, of brokenness and contriteness. David knew nothing without the Holy Spirit. Read through the Psalms of David. And he's not talking about the wonders of this globe. He is talking of the wonders of his God. His desire was a repentant soul. His desire was to know God. Have you noticed? When Solomon, when we read of Solomon, you never read Solomon crying out his guts before God. Solomon didn't do that. Instead, When Solomon dedicated the temple, he stood in his kingly robes and prayed a gracious, majestic, high-sounding prayer. David, when he brought the ark back, he stripped down to his gotchies. And he said, God, you have all of me. I do not come before you in pomp. I come before you as a broken man. Wow, huge difference. One came with all the pomp of king royalty. The other, God, I am nothing in your presence. The distinguishing feature between a David church and a Solomon church is the heart that seeks only after God. David spoke of intimacy with the Lord, brokenness, contriteness. God's desire was a repentant soul. And so that was his heart. He spoke out of his heart. And he did not speak out of his head. In his prayer, Solomon, when he dedicated in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61, Solomon said this, Now, it wasn't a bad dedication. 1 Kings Kings 8, 61, Solomon said, Let your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as of this time. That was a good prayer. I really like that prayer. Solomon knew about the decrees. He was smart. He knew the decrees of which he spoke. Let me repeat it again. Let your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as of this time. Here's the problem. He didn't do it. There was a separation between his head and his heart. Among these warnings, you Deuteronomy chapter 17 is what Solomon was referring to, verse 16. And here was the command, the decrees of God, the decree for any king that would be king in Israel. This was what God said. Here were the decrees according to Deuteronomy 17. Here's number one: The king shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end. That he should multiply horses. That was one decree. Second decree. Neither shall a king in Israel multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Third decree. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Now that's pretty clear. Yet no sooner had Solomon declared the decrees, he violated all three of them. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 28, it says, And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zedonites, Hittites, and Solomon clave to these in love. 1 Kings 10, 23, And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem, as if the stones of the walkways silver everywhere second chronicles 9 and king solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom you see the discrepancy here solomon's prayer to walk perfectly before god had absolutely no effect on his own life and here's why he had no conviction of sin in his own heart david did david did and if we are to not be the Solomon church, if we are to be the David church, we got to have that same conviction. we got to have a heart that stirs after what God's heart is stirred after. Not just the things of knowledge, not just the things that can be accumulated, but the things that stir God's heart. 1 Kings eleven six, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Solomon showed no evidence of repentance. David did. Yeah, David blew it. David made mistakes, as every human does. David had some gross sins. You see and read in Psalms 51, verse 4, David crying out when he sinned, he cried out in verse 1, Wash away my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you, God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Down to verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was David. And a little bit later, when he was an older man, David sinned by asking to count how many fighting men were in his kingdom. He sinned against God again, against the law of God. But this time, contrary to his earlier sins, There was no prophet that had to come and tell David. It was the Holy Spirit who convicted David. As soon as David began to count those people, as soon as he began to enter into sin, his own heart smote him and he stopped the count because he said, God, I will not sin against you. His own heart had conviction. He didn't have to have a man of God. His heart said, you are sinning against God because his heart was contrite before God. His heart was positioned before God. And so we see here David in his gray-haired years, he had become sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, this is what I pray. Lord, do it again in our midst. Do it again in my life. Do it again in our leadership. Do it again in our men and our women in our sons and our daughters. The tragic end of the gospel according to Solomon, it is a tragic end. In contrast to his father David, Solomon at the end of his life concludes his life with these words, Ecclesiastes 2 verse 23. Here's Solomon, all his days are sorrow and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul to enjoy good in his labor. In other words, Solomon is saying, you're going to have sleepless nights. You won't be able to do anything about your despair. Tough luck. So the best you can do is grab everything you can out of this life and enjoy yourself because there's nothing more. That's the end of Solomon. And that is how he died. Sound familiar? Sound familiar of too many deaths today? Too many end-of-life stories? how many who've not placed their hearts in the absolute affections to the heart of God end their days in the same way. David's gospel is very different. David, Psalms chapter 3, verse 4. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill and I laid me down and slept. See the difference? We don't want the Solomon church. We want the David church, who seek after the heart, the intimacy of God, and to do whatever it takes to get there. Not simply more tools, not more services, not new meetings. But, oh God, it's you and you alone. And I do whatever it takes, broken and a contrite heart, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. David's gospel Solomon's gospel. I guess that's kind of the choice I guess I'm making this morning. Whose gospel do you desire? In our life of efforts and difficulties, I invite you, don't simply rely on books. I've got probably more books than most. Don't rely on media. There's a lot we can learn. Don't rely on men. Don't rely on women. Don't rely on somebody else to give you wisdom and knowledge. Instead, here, here, here. Instead... Like David, get on your face before God and have it out with God and don't get up until it happens. Seek his face with all your heart. Be Holy Spirit hungry, David Christian. Cry out to the Lord with all your heart for he is building a church on those cries. He is building a church whose heart is after him. God is stirring hearts today. And I believe, and and I've been holding on to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They They will be filled. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.